Hi lovelies, it's me, Ada Rhodes, and happy holidays. The past few years, I've put a lot of effort into making a Christmas special for the podcast. And this year, Katie and I had this whole plan of doing this like full acted out It's a Wonderful Life. And I am still in the middle of unpacking and moving and a professor at the end of the term and desperately trying to finish a book and research papers. And I am just so behind. So instead of rushing out something that I don't think we'd be proud of. Uh, I decided to give us all a gift by replaying the Christmas Carol that we made last year. This was really fun to make and started as a joke that then became a very earnest and emotional piece of art. So I hope you take the time to listen to it. Also coming up in what is now issue three of the audio zine, um, in addition to the little print zine for the patrons, which I will get to as I'm catching up on art over winter break, we are going to be having our year wrapped episode coming out the week after this. So that'll be a few days into the new year. I think it'll be like the second. Um, But you should be getting that on Monday if you are a patron. And then we're also going to have an episode with a playup coming up in which I talk to her about dog racing. And we talk a little bit about the documentary that has come out about her since then. But we recorded this actually like almost a year ago. It's just been scheduled really far back. So I hope you enjoy that as well. And then um, we're going to have some discussion about that in the documentary with me, Henry or Katie. And then we're going to be wrapping this one up with discussing uh, Wrath Goddess Sing with Maya Dean, as well as talking about just like occultism and transness and the gods. And I think that's going to just be a really fun conversation. So I hope you really enjoy listening to for the first time or re-listening to our Christmas Carol. Share it with your friends. Um, It's a great thing just to kind of put on while doing some holiday cooking or cleaning or whatever. So yeah. Um, Oh, and one last thing. Because I've been super behind on everything, I'm also behind on the Ada Uploaded Stuff Late Punishment content, uh, which we do as bonuses. Um, I've been doing sapphic readings of Emily Dickinson's poems, and I owe you five. Um, So instead of giving you five of those, I'd like to make a bargain and ask the patrons on Discord if you would rather get those five poems or have me read a section of the completely unedited vampire novel I started writing during COVID. Um, It's super queer and very trans and uh, I don't know, I had a fun time writing it. And um, yeah, it's just a love letter also kind of to the Pacific Northwest a little bit while I was struggling in quarantine in Texas. So if you back us at $5 or more a month on Patreon, get on the Discord and tell us if you'd rather have poems or embarrassing vampire novel. Happy holidays and happy new year. And thank you for listening to the show. We couldn't do this without you. Marley was dead, to begin with. Marley had died on this very night seven years ago. There is no doubt whatever about that. Marley was as dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew Marley was dead? Of course he did. How could it be otherwise? Scrooge and Marley had known each other for I don't know how many years. Scrooge had been his sole mourner. And even Scrooge was not so dreadfully cut up by the sad event. On this night, Scrooge sat down before the computer in his dark, spartan apartment with his microwave dinner. 
He was obliged to sit close to the screen and brood over the lines and numbers crawling ever higher. Now it is a fact that there was nothing at all particular about the screen, except that it was very large. It is also a fact that Scrooge had watched it night, day, and morning. Let it alone be borne in mind that Scrooge had not bestowed one thought on Marley in months. And then let anyone explain to me, if they can, how it happened that Scrooge, having his hands on the keys, saw in the screen not the numbers, but the reflection of a face. Marley's face. It was not an impenetrable shadow as the other objects in the room were, but had a dismal light about it. It was not angry or ferocious, but looked at Scrooge as Marley used to look, with ghostly spectacles turned up on its ghostly forehead. The hair was curiously stirred, as if by breath or hot air, and though the eyes were wide open, they were perfectly motionless. That, and its livid color, made it horrible. But its horror seemed to be in spite of the face and beyond its control, rather than a part of its own expression. As Scrooge looked fixedly at this phenomenon, it was the numbers again. To say that he was not startled, or that his blood was not conscious of a terrible sensation to which it had been a stranger from infancy, would be untrue. But he kept his hand upon the keys and typed. He did pause with a moment's irresolution before he closed the tab, and he did look cautiously behind his chair, as if he half expected to be terrified with the sight of Marley standing in the corner. But there was nothing. Thus secured against surprise, he took his meal and went to sit on his bed. As his Xbox booted, that face of Marley, seven years dead, filled his mind. Bullshit! said Scrooge. It was with great astonishment and with a strange, inexplicable dread that he looked, the bedroom door creaked closed. This was succeeded by a clanking noise deep down below, as if some person were dragging heavy chains. The door flew open with a booming sound. It's bullshit still. I won't believe it. His color changed, though, when through the heavy door came Marley's ghost. I am Katie Coleman, a playwright and composer, a queer trans woman, and my pronouns are she, her. I am Henry Jardina, a writer, a critic, and a trans guy, and my pronouns are he, they. And I am Aderoad Short, an activist, robot brain scientist, and queer trans woman whose pronouns are she, her. This is Totally Trans, Searching for the Trans Canon, where we talk about some of the most well-known figures from film, literature, and media. And tell you why we think they deserve to be part of the trans cultural canon. This year for our holiday special, we are going to tell you a story of the ghosts of gender past, present, and future. What do you want with me? Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? In life, I was your friend, Marley. You don't believe in me? I don't. What evidence would you have of my reality beyond that of your senses? I don't know. Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing affects them. You may be a bit of undigested beef or a fragment of an underdone potato. At this, the spirit raised a frightful cry and shook its chain with such a dismal and appalling noise. Scrooge fell upon his knees and clasped his hands before his face. Mercy, why do you trouble me? Man of the worldly mind, do you believe in me or not? I do. Why do spirits walk the earth and why do they come to me? It is required of every person that the spirit within them should find life and be seen by their fellows. And if that spirit is not seen in life, then it is condemned to do so after death. It is doomed to wander through the world. Oh, woe is me! 
and witness what it cannot shed, but might have shed on earth and turn to happiness. Again, the specter raised a cry and shook its chain and wrung its shadowy hands. You are fettered. Tell me why. I wear the chains of masculinity that I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I girded it on my own free will, and of my own free will I wore it. Is its pattern strange to you? Scrooge trembled more and more. Or would you know the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself? It was full as heavy and as long as this seven years ago. You have labored on it since. It is a ponderous chain. Scrooge glanced about him on the floor in the expectation of finding himself surrounded by some fifty or sixty fathoms of iron cable, but he could see nothing. Jacob, Jacob Marley, tell me more. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to give. You will be haunted by three spirits. I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow, when the clock hits one. Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over, Jacob? Expect the second on the next night at the same hour, the third upon the next night. Look to see me no more. When it had said these words, the apparition walked backward from him, and at every step it took, the window raised itself a little, so that when the specter reached it, it was wide open. The specter turned and stepped out the window and fell out of sight. Scrooge followed to the window, desperate in his curiosity. He looked out. The air was filled with phantoms, restless haste, and moaning as they went. Every one of them wore chains like Marley's ghost. None were free. Scrooge closed the window and examined the door by which the ghost had entered. It was locked, as he had locked. He tried to say bullshit, but stopped at the first syllable. And being from the emotion he had undergone, or the fatigues of the day, or his glimpse of the invisible world or the dull conversation of the ghost, or the lateness of the hour, much in need of repose, went straight to bed, without undressing, and fell asleep upon the instant. He slept until his phone alarm sounded, which it now did with a deep, dull, hollow, melancholy tone. Light flashed up in the room upon the instant, and Scrooge, starting up, found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor. It was a strange figure, like a child, yet not so like a child as like an old man, viewed through some supernatural medium which gave him the appearance of having receded from view and being diminished to a child's proportions. But the strangest thing about it was that from the crown of its head there sprung a bright rainbow jet of light. Are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me? I am the ghost of gender past. Long past? No, your past. As the words were spoken, they passed through the wall and stood upon an open country road with fields on either hand. The city had entirely vanished. Oh my god. I was a boy here. The spirit gazed upon him mildly. Your lip is trembling, and what is that upon your cheek? Scrooge muttered with an unusual catching in his voice that it was a pimple and begged the ghost to lead him where he would. They walked along the road, Scrooge recognizing every gate and post and tree until a little town appeared in the distance. With its bridge, its church and winding river, and some boys upon bicycles. 
All these boys were in great spirits and shouted to each other until the broad fields were so full of merry music that the crisp air laughed to hear it. These are but the shadows of the things that have been. They have no consciousness of us. The school is not quite deserted. A solitary child, neglected by his friends, is left there still. Scrooge said he knew it, and he sobbed. They left the road by a well-remembered lane and soon approached a building of dull red brick. It was a large school, but one of broken fortunes, for the spacious offices were little used. Their walls were damp and moldy, their windows broken, and their gates decayed. They went the ghost and Scrooge across the hall to a door at the back of the school. It opened before them and disclosed a cluttered, long-abandoned room made more ancient by posters advertising school plays from years earlier. By one costume rack, a lonely boy was squeezing into a bright yellow dress, and Scrooge sat down upon a chair and wept to see himself as he used to be. The spirit touched him on the arm and pointed to his younger self, twirling in his secret delight. I was Belle from Beauty and the Beast. It was my favorite movie, and all I wanted to do was pretend to be her when I was little. But I wasn't allowed to at home, so I would hide and sneak into the theater room after school and play by myself. To hear Scrooge expending all the earnestness of his nature on such subjects in a most extraordinary voice between laughing and crying, and to see his heightened and excited face would have been a surprise to his business friends in the city indeed. Then, with a rapidity of transition, very foreign to his usual character, he said in pity for his former self, and cried, Poor child, I wish... But it's too late now. Scrooge muttered, putting his hand in his pocket and looking about him after drying his eyes with his cuff. What is the matter? Nothing, nothing. There was a story I read in the paper about a child. I should have liked to have done something, that's all. The ghost smiled thoughtfully and waved its hand, saying as it did so. Let us see another day. This was not addressed to Scrooge or to anyone whom he could see, but it produced an immediate effect. For again, Scrooge saw himself. He was older now. His face had not the harsh and rigid lines of later years, but it had begun to wear. There was an empty, sad nothingness in the eye. He was alone and wore a black dress while sitting at the computer, There were tears in his eyes, which sparkled in the light that shone out of the ghost. He typed softly. It matters little. I fear the world too much. All of my hopes and dreams have died, and I see no future for myself if I continue down this path. What now? I'm too old now. Maybe when I was young and beautiful, but I've changed. I am a man. Logic tells me that I am not a woman. You are all deluded and I hope that you all come to your senses or perish and reduce the deviant population. He hit send and then stared blankly forward, waiting for a response. May you be happy in the life you have chosen, read the lone forum comment. Spirit, show me no more. Why do you delight to torture me? One shadow more. No more. No more. I don't wish to see it. Show me no more. But the relentless ghost pinioned him in both arms and forced him to observe what happened next. They were in another scene and place. 
Marley sitting at a computer on Reddit. With nervous excitement, she uploaded the picture of herself in the skirt and crop top she had purchased online. Looking as cute and femme as she could, she typed the title MTF24 Pre-HRT. Will I pass? Marley taps refresh in anticipation, waiting for any response. A single affirmation in an uncertain world, but instead gets a text message, a screenshot of her photo from her only friend, Ebenezer Scrooge. And the message read, Holy shit, this is a joke, right? I always knew you were a faggot. She sat in stunned silence before throwing her phone into the wall. She cried and shouted and tore up her skirt and eventually stepped towards the open window. Spirit, remove me from this place. I told you these were shadows of the things that have been, but they are what they are. Do not blame me. Remove me. I cannot bear it. He turned upon the ghost and seeing that it looked upon him with a face in which some strange way they were fragments of all the faces it had shown him, wrestled with it. Leave me. Take me back. Haunt me no longer. Once again, the alarm on Scrooge's phone chimed. He stood alone in the doorway to his own room, but it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were hung with string lights and house plants that made it look like a magical grove. Cushions, dresses, silks, and stuffed animals were heaped up on the floor to form a kind of throne. Upon this couch sat a giant woman, glorious to see, who bore a billowing torch in a shape not unlike a flag, and held it up, high up, to shed its light on Scrooge, as he came peeping round the door. Come in, come in, and know me better. Scrooge entered timidly and hung his head before the spirit, and though the spirit's eyes were clear and kind, he did not meet them. I am the ghost of gender present. Look upon me. Scrooge reverently did so. She was clothed in a shining green dress, trimmed with white fur. The garment clung so tightly to the figure, her breasts practically burst out, as if disdaining to be warded or concealed by any artifice. Her feet, observable beneath the ample folds of the skirt, wore high heels, and on her head she wore no other covering than a glittery wreath set here and there with shining rhinestones. Her dark brown curls were long and free, free as her genial face, her sparkling eye, her open hand, her cheery voice, her unconstrained demeanor, and her joyful air. You have never seen the like of me before. Never? Have never walked forth with the younger members of my family, meaning, for I am very young, my elder sisters born in these later years? I don't think I have. I am afraid I have not. Have you had many sisters, Spirit? More than two thousand. A tremendous family to provide for. The ghost of gender present rose. Spirit, guide me where you will. I went forth last night on compulsion, and I learned a lesson which is working now. Tonight, if you have aught to teach me, let me profit by it. Plushies, cushions, string lights, silks, and all vanished instantly. So did the room, and they stood in the city's streets in the moonlight. And perhaps it was the pleasure the good spirit had in showing off this power of hers, or else it was her own kind, generous, hearty nature and her sympathy with all humankind that led her straight to the home of the family 
whom Scrooge had read about, whose child the state had tried to take away. The mother, dressed in cheap, thread-worn clothes, laid the tablecloth, assisted by the second of her daughters, while the oldest son strummed a guitar absentmindedly, and two smaller children, boy and girl, came tearing in, screaming in excitement, and danced about the table. "'Where's your father?' said the mother. "'And your sister, Kim?' "'Father is coming now,' cried the two children, who were everywhere at once. "'And how did Kim behave?' asked the mother as the father walked in the door. "'As good as gold, and better,' said the father. "'Somehow she gets thoughtful sitting by herself so much, "'and thinks the strangest things.' She told me coming home that she hoped the people saw her in the church because she was trans and it might be good for them to be reminded that God made all their children in their image. The father was tremulous when he told them this and trembled more when he said that Kim was becoming less depressed. Her shoes were heard upon the floor and back came Kim before another word was spoken, escorted by her brother and sister to her seat at the table. Such a bustle ensued that you might have thought a pizza was the rarest of all foods, and in all truth it was something very like it in that house. At last the dishes were set and the grace was said. It was succeeded by a breathless pause as the mother distributed slices and even Kim, excited by the two young children, beat on the table with her hands and cried, Hooray! There never was such a pizza. She sat very close to her father's side. He held her nervous little hand in his, as if he loved the child, and dreaded that she might be taken from him, and wished to keep her by his side. Spirit, tell me if Kim will live, said Scrooge with an interest he had never felt before. I see a vacant seat in the corner and a dress without an owner, carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaffected by the future, the child will die. No, oh no. Kind spirit, say she will be spared. What then? If she will die, she had better do it and decrease the deviant population. Scrooge hung his head to hear his own words quoted by the spirit and was overcome with penitence and grief. Human, if human you be in heart, will you decide what people shall live, what children shall die? It may be that in the sight of heaven you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor family's child. Scrooge bent before the ghost's rebuke, and trembling cast his eyes upon the ground. After the pizza was gone, they were ten times merrier than before, and when they faded looked even happier in the bright light of the spirit's torch. Scrooge had his eyes upon them, and especially on Tiny Kim until the last. By this time, it was getting dark, and as Scrooge and the spirit went along the streets, they saw much and went far, and they visited many homes, but always with a happy trans child. The spirit stood beside sick beds, and they were cheerful. On foreign lands, and they were close at home by struggling children, and they were patient in their greater hope, by poverty, and it was rich, in shelters, hospitals, and jails. It was strange, too, that while Scrooge remained unaltered in his outward form, the ghost grew older, clearly older, 
Scrooge had observed this change, but never spoke of it, until they left a coming-out party, when looking at the spirit as they stood together in an open place, he noticed her hair was gray. Are spirits' lives so short? My life upon this globe is very brief. It ends tonight. Tonight? Tonight at midnight. Hark, the time is drawing near. The phone alarm chimed. Scrooge looked about him for the ghost and saw her not. As the note ceased to ring, he lifted up his eyes, beheld a solemn phantom, draped and hooded, coming like a mist along the ground towards him. The phantom slowly, gravely, silently approached, and when it was near him, Scrooge bent down on his knees. It was shrouded in a deep black garment, which concealed its head, its face, its form, and left nothing of it visible save one outstretched hand. He felt that it was tall and stately when it came beside him, and that its mysterious presence filled him with a solemn dread. He knew no more, for the spirit neither spoke nor moved. I am in the presence of the ghost of gender yet to come. The spirit answered not, but pointed onward with its hand. You are about to show me shadows of the things that have not yet happened, but will happen. Is that so, spirit? The spirit's cloaked head nodded. That was the only answer he received. Although he used a ghostly company by this time, Scrooge feared the silent shape so much that his legs trembled beneath him, and he found that he could hardly stand when he prepared to follow it. The spirit paused a moment, as if observing his condition and giving him time to recover. But Scrooge was all the worse for this, as it filled him with a vague, uncertain horror to know that behind the dusky shroud there were ghostly eyes intently fixed upon him. Ghost of the future, I fear you more than any specter I have seen. But as I know your purpose is to do me good, and as I hope to live to be another person from what I was, I am prepared to bear your company and do it with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? It gave him no reply. The hand was pointed straight before them. Lead on, lead on. The night is waning fast, and it is precious time to me, I know. Lead on, spirit. The phantom moved away as it had come towards him. Scrooge followed it in the shadow of its dress, which bore him up and carried him along. The city seemed to spring up about them. The spirit stopped beside one little knot of businessmen. Observing that the hand was pointed to them, Scrooge advanced to listen to their talk. No, said a great muscular man with a monstrous chin. I don't know much about it either way. I only know he's dead. When did he die? inquired another. Last night, I believe. Why, what was the matter with him? asked a third, taking a vast quantity of snuff out of a very large snuff box. I thought he'd never die. God knows, said the first with a yawn. "'What has he done with his money?' asked a red-faced gentleman with a long beard. "'I haven't heard,' said the man with the large chin, yawning again. "'Left it to his company, perhaps. Hasn't left it to me, that's all I know.' This pleasantry was received with a general laugh. "'It's likely to be a very cheap funeral. 
I don't know of anybody who would go to it. Suppose we make up a party and volunteer? I don't mind going if lunch is provided, observed the gentleman with the beard. Another laugh. Scrooge was at first inclined to be surprised that the spirit would attach importance to conversations apparently so trivial. But feeling assured that they must have some hidden purpose, he set himself to consider what it was likely to be. They couldn't have any bearing on the death of Marley, his old friend, for that was past, and this ghost's province was the future. Nor could he think of anyone immediately connected with himself to whom he could apply them, but nothing doubting that to whomsoever they applied, they had some latent moral for his own improvement. He resolved to listen to every word and remember everything he saw. Spirit, I see, I see. The case of this unhappy man might be my own, said Scrooge, shuddering from head to foot. He recoiled in terror, for the scene had changed, and now he almost touched a bed, a bare, unmade bed, on which beneath a ragged sheet there lay something covered up. The room was very dark, too dark to be observed with any accuracy. A pale light fell straight upon the bed, and on it, unwatched, unwept, uncared for, was the body of this man. Scrooge glanced towards the phantom. Its steady hand was pointed to the head. The sheet was so carelessly adjusted that the slightest raising of it, the motion of a finger upon Scrooge's part, would have disclosed the face. He thought of it, felt how easy it would be to do, and then longed to do it, but had no power to withdraw the veil than to dismiss the specter at his side. He lay in the dark, empty house, with not a man, a woman, or child to say that he was kind to me. A cat was tearing at the door, and there was a sound of gnawing rats in the walls. What they wanted in the room of death, and why they were so restless and disturbed, Scrooge did not dare to think. Spirit, this is a fearful place. In leaving it, I shall not leave its lesson, trust me. Let us go. Still, the ghost pointed with an unmoved finger to the head. I understand you, and I would do it if I could, but I have not the power, spirit. I have not the power. Again, it seemed to look upon him. If there is any person in the world who feels emotion caused by this man's death, show that person to me, spirit. I beseech you. The phantom spread its dark robe before him for a moment, like a wing, and withdrawing it revealed a room by daylight where a mother and her children were. The noisy little children from before were as still as statues in one corner and sat looking up at the oldest, who had a book before him. The mother and her daughters were engaged in knitting. The mother laid her work upon the table and put her hand up to her face. The color hurts my eyes, she said. They're, they're better now, said the mother. And I wouldn't show weak eyes to your father when he comes home. It must be near that time. Past it, rather, the oldest son answered, shutting up his butt. But I think he has walked a little slower than he used to these last days. They were quiet again. At last, she said, in a steady, cheerful voice that only faltered once, 
I have known him to walk with Kim upon his shoulder, very fast indeed. And so have I, cried the son. Often. And so have I, exclaimed another. So at all. But she was very light to carry. She resumed, intent upon her work. And her father loved her so, that it was no trouble, no trouble. And there is your father at the door. She hurried out to meet him, and they all tried to see who could help him most to a seat. Then the two young children got upon his knees, as if they said, Don't mind it, Daddy. Don't be grieved. The father was very cheerful with them, and spoke pleasantly to all the family. He looked at the knitting on the table and praised the speed of the girls. They would be done long before Sunday, he said. Sunday? You went today? said his wife. Yes, my dear, returned the father. I wish you could have gone. It would have done you good to see how green a place it is, but you'll see it often. I promised her that I would walk there on a Sunday. My little, little girl, cried the father. My little girl. He broke down all at once. He couldn't help it. The mother kissed him. The daughters hugged him. The two young children hugged him. And the oldest son hugged him. Spectre, something informs me that our parting moment is at hand. I know it, but I know not how. Tell me what man was it whom we saw lying dead? The ghost of what was yet to come conveyed him, as before, to an iron gate. He paused to look round before entering. A graveyard. Here the wretched man lay underneath the ground. It was a worthy place. Walled in by highways, overrun by litter and weeds. A worthy place. The spirit stood among the graves and pointed down to one. He advanced towards it, trembling. The phantom was exactly as it had been, but he dreaded that he saw new meaning in its solemn shape. Before I draw nearer to that stone to which you point, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of the things that will be, or are they the shadows of things that may be only? Still the ghost pointed downward to the grave by which it stood. The spirit was immovable as ever. Scrooge crept towards it, trembling as he went, and following the finger read upon the stone of the neglected grave his own name, Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh no, spirit. Oh no, no, spirit. He cried, clutching at its robe. Hear me, I am not the man I was. Why show me this if I am past all hope? For the first time the hand appeared to shake. Good spirit, assure me that I yet may change these shadows you've shown me if I change my life. The kind hand trembled. I will honor humanity in my heart. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. Oh, tell me I may sponge away the writing on this stone. In his agony, he caught the spectral hand. It sought to free itself, but he was strong in his entreaty and detained it. The spirit, stronger yet, broke free, holding up his hands in a last prayer to have his fate reversed. He saw a change in the phantom's hood and dress. It shrunk, collapsed, and dwindled down into a bedpost.
Yes, and the bedpost was his own. The bed was his own, the room was his own, and best of all, the time before him was his own. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. Scrooge scrambled out of bed. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. Oh, Marley, heaven and humanity be praised for this. I say it on my knees, on my knees. He had been sobbing violently in his conflict with the spirit, and his face was wet with tears. He ran to the closet and dug out a box that had not been opened in years. Scrooge's hands were busy with the garments, turning them inside out, putting them on upside down, tearing them, mislaying them, making them parties to every kind of extravagance. I, I don't, I don't know what to do, cried Scrooge, laughing and crying in the same breath and accidentally tearing stockings. I'm light as a feather. (laughs) I'm happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a melody. I'm as giddy as a schoolgirl. Scrooge sprinted into the living room and was now standing there, winded. Really, for a woman who had been out of practice for so many years, it was a splendid laugh, a most illustrious laugh, the mother of a long, long line of brilliant laughs. I don't know what day of the month it is. I don't know how long I've been among the spirits. I don't know anything. I'm quite a baby. Never mind. I don't care. I'd rather be a baby. Running to the window, she opened it and put out her hand. No fog, no mist, clear, bright, jovial, stirring cold. Cold piping for the blood to dance to. Golden sunlight, heavenly sky, sweet fresh air. Oh, glorious, glorious. What's today? Cried Scrooge, calling downward to a boy who perhaps had loitered in to look about her. What? Replied the boy. What's today? Today, replied the boy. Tuesday? The spirits have done it all in one night. They can do anything they like. Of course they can. Of course they can. Scrooge ran to her computer. She looked up the article on Kim's family and looked at the photos to ensure that it hadn't all been a dream and she knew the parents and all of the children. And then seeing a GoFundMe link, she switched tabs to her investments, sold an irresponsible amount of shares and sent it all to Tiny Kim. It will all be all right. Wrote Scrooge in the message box with an earnestness that could not be mistaken. I'll cover all your moving expenses and endeavor to assist your struggling family as if it were my own. Scrooge was better than her word. She did it all and infinitely more. And to Kim, who did not die, she was a second mother. She became as good a friend and as good a woman as the old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world knew. Some people laughed to see the alteration in her, but she let them laugh for she was wise enough to know that nothing good ever happened on this globe at which some people did not have their fill of laughter. And knowing that those people would be blind anyway, she thought it quite as well that they should wrinkle up their eyes in grins. Her own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for her. She had no further interaction with spirits, and it was always said of her that she knew how to love herself and others, if any woman alive possessed the knowledge. May that be truly said of us, and all of us. And so, as Tiny Kim observed, God bless us, everyone.